0: listening to The Issues Podcast. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. This is an episode of The Issues Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Russ, Tom Brennan and Martin Wickens. It's lonely being right all the time. That was a good segue in the conversation. I feel like Tom's not right about everything. <laughs> That's not
1: exactly what I was trying to accomplish in podcasting today.
0: Well, so I have to admit to our listeners, too, that I um, um, I have not read any new book, books since the last book review. <laughs> I don't have any books to review, but do you guys have anything that you wanted to talk about that in that uh, arena before we get started? It doesn't have to be a new book. All right, well, you talk about a book and I'll go find an old book that I'm reading
1: or read. Okay. So, a book that I happen to see sitting on my shelf as I was setting up my uh, podcasting studio today uh, here in our library is Richard Sibb's Bruised Read. He's a mm. Puritan author. And generally, when you think of Puritan authors, you think of somebody who's going to beat you up, you know, John Ode and Mortification of Sin, something like that. You're going to read, you know, two paragraphs and be so convicted, you know, that you're going to surrender to be a missionary to to Indonesia or something. right? But Richard Sibb's book is not like that at all. First of all, it's not long. Uh, it's relatively short, but it's one of the most encouraging books I have ever read. Hmm. And it, it shows you the humanity of the connection there that even back in the Puritan generation that people were human and they struggled and they, they needed encouragement, they needed comfort from the word of God. But he does a masterful job of taking passages that aren't generally known for comfort and comforting God's people with it. And I would encourage anybody who finds themselves in need of comfort or knows somebody who is, I'm sure it's a cheap book on Amazon, five bucks, maybe something like that. Richard Sibbs, The Bruised Read, Sibs S-I-B-B-E-S. So
0: there's also, I think, some affordable audio book versions of that because once you said that, it it reminded me, I I started listening to that the other day at the gym and I realized that it was being read in such a monotone, I probably couldn't listen to it at the gym and focus on it. But um, I have started it. I'm encouraged to hear you say that. Good book, very cool. Martin, what do you got? Well, um,
2: do you want to go first? Because my my books of choice might be jumping the gun a little bit on today's topic.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Yes, so I'm going to recommend a resource, especially right now. Um, Probably a lot of people preparing sermons along these particular lines, and that is John Phillips. He wrote, um, of course, the, the commentaries are great, but he wrote a book called Jesus, Our Lord. I've been using that in my study and the view from Mount Calvary. And so that's something that's been really helpful to me as I've been doing sermon prep, but it also is just good overall. I mean, it's more of a commentary feel to it, obviously, than um, you know a book feel, but uh, Phillips is always a safe recommend, recommendation for sure. He's, he's phenomenal with what, what he draws out of the text. So just a couple of resources for everybody that I would, uh, I would highly recommend. All right, Mark. Now we're all
1: on pins and needles, Reverend Wiggins. Oh, no. I, I know what's coming. I, I have been
2: primarily reading uh, these these three books. I've got another two, um, but I loaned them to someone and they haven't brought them back. Uh, but the, the first one is called um, Should Christians Drink Wine and Alcohol by Ben David Sinclair, one of our former co- co- hosts. Uh, also, the Christian and Alcohol by Doug Batchelor, and then one I've been returning to pretty often, along with uh, Sinclair's uh, book, is called Sober Saints by Keith Malcolmson.
0: Okay, yeah, and that does lead us into our um, our topic of the day because today we're going to tackle the issue of Christians and alcohol, and there's there's just been so much that's as of late it seems been been put out there whether in preaching or in podcasting or in a, a lot of different mediums that's is it's a totally different tune um from well how do I how do how do you guys want me to put this i mean do we just go straight at this or what
1: well i think what you're trying to say <laughs> is i don't yeah. want to put words in your mouth but what you're trying to say is that there has been a a highly increased push for uh consumption of alcohol in conservative Baptist circles in the past two, three, four, five years. It seems that way. Yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Out of step with the rest
0: of my life. It's very out of step with, with that. And the other thing I would say is that the argument would probably be given that they're not encouraging people to drink alcohol, but in essence, they're breaking down any kind of restraint because once you get started down that road, alcohol is not something you can restrain. Alcohol is something that is going to take over and it's it's a consuming factor. So we want to mm-hmm. I think right off the bat state our position that we believe this and I'll try to summarize it for us and then we can jump in. Is that we are going to teach today from the position of abstinence, but we're also going to present it the way that we see it, which is that the Bible teaches that position. Mm-hmm. And that's what's being challenged. It's being challenged. that The Bible does not teach abstinence from alcohol. Um, I find it interesting that people have attacked the independent Baptist movement for what they call eisegesis, isolating things and whatnot in the text. Hmm. And yet we're using some obscure and isolated texts, some difficult passages, as we put it, in order to remove the restraint on alcohol. So that's it's great. to me, it's a double standard. It's hypocrisy. Um, and that—that's why I asked, by the way, earlier if, how the guys wanted me to ta- go at this because they both know how I feel about it, and that I'm going to struggle as as the uh, as one of the hosts today. Um, I'm going to try to maintain my Christianity.
2: No, I would say it's one of those issues where the downsides, the negatives, so far outweigh mm-hmm. potential benefits, and even the benefits are dangerous. So why why drink? Why take that? Single glass of alcohol, you know, back in the day, if you read the old research, it's, well, a glass of day and it's good for your heart, but that's been disproven. Um, science has right. shown that there's, there's no benefits to alcohol, and I know we're going to return to that later. Um, it helps you relax. Well, as a Christian, should you need some kind of intoxicating depressant to help you relax at the end of the day? Um, I, I just don't see the benefit
1: of it. Uh,
2: they talk about well, Don't you think the response
1: to that? Don't you think the response to that from the, and I'm not, you know, a moderate alcohol position, I clearly I'm not, I'm, I'm in favor of abstinence, I believe that's what the Bible teaches, but don't you think the response to what you just said would be, they're not saying that you should drink it because it's good, they're trying to deconstruct what they believe is a faulty theological position. Yes.
2: Yes, oh yeah, and, and they would come from that, but I would say that the, you know, science itself shows that it's not beneficial. Um but uh, you know, I'm just saying that even if you say, okay, moderation is the position that the Bible teaches, which we don't believe. But even if you did agree with that, well, what's the benefit? Why why drink yeah. something that yeah. you know, um, you know, if there is a text that points to it being dangerous and we should abstain from it, and there's a text that appears to say a little bit is okay, if you've got options, why drink? I mean, what well, what's the benefit of saying, well Given the choice of abstinence or moderation, I believe the Bible could go either way. I'm just going to go with moderation because it chills me out, or I like the flavor, or whatever the case may be. Right. It's it just feels like a very poor decision on behalf of any Christian.
0: Yeah. So, and and that's the the two things that are being put out there right now. And so we're not we're not, for the record, dealing with this from the perspective of. Um, What the world says about alcohol versus what christianity says about alcohol we are specifically taking the two frames of uh of mind or the two worldviews on alcohol that right now seem to exist and clash within christianity the first one is assume moderation make and and make sure that um you know make make those clear passages in the bible that do promote abstinence say something else Uh, i'm sorry to put it that way but that is that is the way that we see it the other one is to assume abstinence and assume or interpret the difficult passages from the perspective of abstinence. And that's the position that I take. Um, That's the position that I think all three of us take. And we've been working up to this episode. We've been really building up to it. I know, Martin, you've probably done more study on it than any of us. Tom, I shouldn't say that. You've written 12 blog posts on it. Um, I I was immediately reminded of that when I earlier said that Martin had done more study on it. Tom said no. He's written twelve blog posts on it. Anyway, but we want to tackle this idea from the Bible. We we do believe this, and this is coming from the millennial of the group. Martin, are you a millennial? Just about. I, I think I just just about made it. In. Okay. that's not an adequate answer. So you're not a millennial. I'm a I'm a millennial. I'm the <laughs> millennial of the group. <laughs> from the youngest guy of the group, I do we do want to take the difficult passages and talk about them today. That's that's something that we we sometimes avoid, and I think that my generation and younger get a little irritated with that. Like, okay, why are we not talking about these? Why are not why are we not bringing them up and explaining them? And the other thing is, is we're having a conversation today, and that conversation we are happy to continue um, with any one of the three of us or all three of us. And so we'd invite our listeners to um, to do that. So, so I, I would say we understand that there are difficult texts that
2: require study. And, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't say I have an answer for every single one of them. But like you said, there are clear verses that I believe right. teach abstinence. And so I interpret the others in light of the clear statements rather
0: than the other way around.
1: Which, again, is the solid hermeneutical position. Right.
0: Well, yeah. One of the things that's been thrown out there right now is that this is this is kind of a new position. This is birthed out of the prohibition era in America. Um, this is not something that was ever taught before. You know, the church fathers didn't believe this, whatever that means. But that's not exactly true either, is it? No.
2: No, I've got a couple of quotes in front of me. Um, Clement of Alexandria, he lived between 150-215 AD, or it should be AD 150-215, um, if you want to be Accurate, But um, he said, I therefore admire those who have adopted an austere life and who are fond of water, the medicine of temperance, and flee as far as possible from wine, shunning it as they would the danger of fire. Uh, then later on, Clement of Alexandria, uh, right in, in about 350, uh, he said, if experience gives me a right to advise, I would begin by urging you and warning you as Christ's spouse to avoid wine as you would poison for wine is the final weapon used by demons against the young. Hmm. And
0: that was given by who? Who was who gave that
2: quote, that last one you read? That was uh, Jerome. Haven't you read, Jerome? I would have thought you'd have recognized it.
0: Well, you said it was Clement of Alexandria, so I was just making sure that we got it I'm sorry, it right. the
2: first one was Clement of Alexandria. The second one was Jerome. So you recognized it your and you're like, hang on. It took your I sarcasm thought...
0: and slapped it back. Slapped it back <laughs> at you, Martin. Typical millennial. <laughs> <laughs> but that those are two very powerful quotes from from people very shortly after the the days of christ right i mean this is not a new idea abstinence is not a new position and it's certainly not unique to the independent baptist movement
2: Mm -hmm. and and they were quoting from a they were speaking from a christian perspective but there's a, a i won't read the whole lengthy quote from albert barnes but he references um pliny plutarch and you know these Philosophers from a non-Christian perspective who describe wine as good and best and useful when it isn't alcoholic when it's not adulterated. One of them said, "By the addition of anything to the must or the juice." So, even mm-hmm. from a, a non-Christian perspective, there are historical authors, philosophers who said, "Well, the best you know drink is the one that's not adulterated, and you know it's, it's a non-alcoholic or a minimally alcoholic." Beverage. Well,
0: what do we what do we do with um, maybe people in the uh, preachers of the past who would have been great spiritual theologians or whatever, like Spurgeon, who at one time would have taken one position on alcohol, but ended with another. I hear Spurgeon quoted a lot, mostly on cigars, but I think he had a position on alcohol that changed. Is that correct? It did, yeah.
2: There's, uh, I can find it again. There's a very lengthy article of someone who traces his position, Um, and at the outset, he actually mocks an American preacher who got up in his pulpit and preached you know, temperance, and Spurgeon got up after him and basically mocked this preacher who just stood in front of him, but then as he goes down through the years, his position shifts, and then ultimately, he would say something like this, next to the preaching of the gospel, the most necessary thing to be done in England is to induce our people to become abstainers. And so wow, it's, it's a very lazy position to say, horrible. yeah, yeah. Um, and he was humble enough to change. He was humble enough to say, you know what? I got it wrong and we need to abstain.
0: Mm-hmm. So he, he put abstinence as the topic right after the gospel at a high mm-hmm. priority. Have you guys ever um, heard this school of thought that kind of condemns the prohibition era which, I mean, just personal testimony here is, you know, my, my grandfather would have come out of the prohibition era and he was the one, I shouldn't say he was the one, his dad, even my great grandfather was one who established, man, we do not drink alcohol. We always, you know, I mean, we could say Russes don't drink alcohol. Um, that was passed down to us. I mean, we were having this conversation around the family dinner table on a Sunday not too long ago where I reminded my grandfather, I said, well, there were a lot of things that quite frankly, I don't do because you scared me to death on it, you know, and that, that was old school, <laughs> but he came out of that prohibition era. Well, prohibition, of course, Billy Sunday was big on the prohibition era, uh, on the influence of, of outlawing, uh, alcohol and some, the sentiment, Tom, maybe you have some insight on this. I don't know. The sentiment that I get sometimes is that the church should have never, uh, pushed for legislation. You can't legislate morality and things of that nature, and that that the, that was the wrong approach or whatever. But my understanding is just like anything, if you study it a little more thoroughly, you're going to find there were things and there were there were things going on beyond that, such as the domestic violence rate because of alcohol was so high that they opted to outlaw alcohol and pro- prohibit alcohol as a means of driving down the domestic violence. And so sometimes I get that. Have you ever heard anything like that, Tom? Or you have you an ins- any insight sure, on that I've,
1: kind of history? I've read a couple of books about prohibition and watched some stuff about it. Uh, I can see both sides of the argument about legislative morality. If you take that, it, this is not really our topic today, but if you take that too far one direction, then government essentially doesn't rule out anything because it's wrong or evil or bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's problematic, right? Uh, if you take it too far the other direction, then you know we can – You can't make people do what people don't want to do. There has to be a basic acceptance by people of governmental law in order for it to be effective. And so you can't debate that as prohibition, you know, continue when it it started 1919, ended in 32 or 33, I think 33, as it went along, more of the country turned against it. I think that was more because of how it was enforced or the lack of enforcement and the way it produced crime waves and things of that nature. Oh yeah! Uh, if you don't have the foundation to support a law about morality, essentially the the, the societal wide acceptance, uh, that law will not. It, it will just become a dead letter and uh, just be just be ignored totally. And I think that happened with prohibition.
0: Yeah, yeah. Did you, um, Tom? Maybe you had a a dad like this. I don't know, but my there was a time. I mean, my grandparents wouldn't even go in a restaurant that served alcohol.
1: Oh yeah, that was hell. Yeah. How- right. Don't go to any restaurant that, was- that serves alcohol. Uh, I struggled with that a little bit as a kid because I know we shopped at the grocery store, and the grocery store right. sold alcohol. And 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 you know I don't know that why, I ever really had to come to my it? parents about that because I thought it was hypocritical. I thought it was taking mm. two different positions. You know, you won't go to a restaurant that serves alcohol, but you go to a grocery store that does. Um. So, you know, it's it, it, it's. So so, at some point, I, I I just said, you know, for myself, I'll go to a restaurant that serves alcohol. The issue is I just won't drink, and I don't Right, ever
0: have. Right. We, we don't even sit at... We try to not to sit near the bar if we go into a place like that. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. And, really I, and I think, it, you know, in Britain, it's always been much different because alcohol has been such a part of the culture. Um, you know, I read an article a while back saying how many different words there are in England for being drunk. And... Hmm. It's kind of humorous on the one side, but on the other side, it's because that's just a part of the culture, um, and mm-hmm. and very often the, the position you'd have to take as far as going out to drink is: it's is it a drinking establishment that serves food, or is it a restaurant that also serves alcohol? Like, what yeah, is the right. the primary purpose of it? And I think that gives a measure of a decision making process you know, to help. And again, it's the same, a lot of Christians work in grocery stores that sell alcohol. And if you prohibit that, well, then,
0: you know, it gets very, very complicated. Uh, And I mean, I remember when Evansville changed their ordinance that you could sell alcohol on a Sunday. Um, I think it was when I was a younger adult that I was in a store and someone tried to buy alcohol on a Sunday and they said, sorry, we can't sell that. I was like, whoa, I'll have to go check that and make sure that the dates, I got the dates on that right. But I, I recall that experience and it was it was kind of like, wow, that's still a holdover. So prohibition may have ended in the 30s or whatever whenever you said it ended, Tom, but the impact of it lasted for a long time in America. Now that's experiential, that's that's personal opinion, that's all the things we've talked about is just kind of background. Um, why don't we get to some of the clear texts in scripture, right? So the Bible does teach abstinence. The Bible supports an abstinence position. And it supports it quite strongly. So why don't we share some of those scripture texts and things like that. Tom, you made a really good point that if we're going to do this, we actually need to read the verses on the podcast. Does one of you guys want to walk through some of those real quick?
1: Let me take the first one. Uh, I think this is the clearest passage in the Bible about alcohol uh, because of the way it's worded. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. It's clearly mm-hmm. talking about al- an alcoholic beverage based upon the way it's worded but it doesn't say that that too much of it is the problem. It states that in itself, in its nature, it is problematic. It's not a a matter at all in verse number one of how much of it you ingest. It's clearly in Proverbs 20 verse one stating this thing in its nature, no matter how much of it you have is an issue. There's a problem there, it's a bad thing. And I think that's very Mm -hmm. clear.
0: Interesting thought about that particular verse, right, is that it defines that alcohol, um, fermented wine or whatever, um, has a unique quality to it and that it is a mocker. Now, to to me, this is, it's funny when this gets brought up because people will say, well, gluttony is a sin. Why don't you preach against that? I'm like, okay, okay. But to equate gluttony and alcohol is just not scriptural. Yes, the Bible speaks of yeah. both of them. Matter of fact, Proverbs specifically deals with both of them. You know, put a knife to your throat if you're a man given to appetite, you know, that kind of thing. However, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And it just I, that probably, that's probably the, the counter argument that bothers me the most because being an Im- independent Baptist, we get picked on so much. I'm grinding an ax for a moment. I told you guys I was going to do this. We get picked on so much for lack of substance. And then they throw that argument out as an argument against alcohol, against drinking in general, you know, drink, even moderation. And I'm like, are you serious? Because I, I have never seen someone go out and drink alcohol and become so under the influence that they can't drive their car properly or get in their car. And as a result of drink or eating too much turkey, they kill someone. Okay, you know, you'd have to reach really, 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 really far to make a connection between the damage that gluttony
1: does versus the damage that alcohol does. Yeah, it's an apples and oranges. It's an apples and oranges comparison. And that's right. It's also an emphasis comparison. What does the Bible talk Mm -hmm. about the most? It clearly talks about alcohol a whole lot. I mean, however you want to slice it. I mean, just be intellectually honest in your argument. It clearly talks about the alcohol issue a whole lot more than it talks about gluttony. I'm not saying you know gluttony is not an issue in the Bible; it is, but but there's right. a clear emphasis in the Word of God.
2: Yeah, and and I find it a very uh, frustrating response because it, it just feels again, it just feels very lazy, and it's it's that "what about" style of argument that yeah I find weak. It's like yeah, but what about? It's like okay, well, what about it? It's wrong, um, and again, I I think it's not as clear cut. Either, as, as some may may say, uh, the book of Proverbs does say that you know whoever the Lord blesses shall be made fat. So I mean, that's Bible. <laughs>
0: but, <laughs> okay, maybe a long as long as we're but, as long as we're isolating verses and using them for our own know. purposes.
2: <laughs> but here's the thing: like eating on its own is not wrong. There's no ambiguous verse that says, "Okay, well, if you eat a little bit, then that's purely wrong." There are clear Mm -hmm. statements, like we've just read. Wine is a mocker in its very nature. Um, It's not about it being abused. It's not about having too much. Wine in its very nature is wrong. Uh, Or alcohol has got that influence on you. But food, it's a necessary thing. Now, food can be abused, um, and you can be gluttonous. But by its very nature, it's not a problem.
0: So to equate the two... Is, is just weak. Yeah. What's the next verse we have?
1: Martin, Proverbs 23, why don't you take that?
2: Yep, uh, Proverbs 23, 29. Actually, in the same chapter, verse 21, the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty. So the Bible does, you know, pull those two together. But um, in Proverbs 23, That's dealing with a common
0: outcome, though. That's dealing with a common yes, outcome. Yeah. As opposed to yeah, a, but it a doesn't common, say,
2: you know, It doesn't say drunkenness and... Eden, it's you know, but either way, um, the yeah. the next verse, uh, Proverbs twenty three twenty nine. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling, Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine. Look thou not upon the wine when it is red, when it gives its color in the cup, when it moves itself aright. At the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Uh, continues yeah. on thine eyes shall behold strange women thine heart shall utter perverse things yea they thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast they have stricken me shall thou say and I was not sick they have beaten me and I felt it
0: not when shall I awake I will seek it yet again yeah that that verse I recall at a particular week of junior camp I said junior camp before I was a teenager. A preacher got up and preached on that man. That may have been Mm -hmm. one of the one of the days that impacted me the most on this issue. To be honest, is like I was scared to death to drink wine after that passage was preached on. You know, Mm -hmm. some people would say though they that tarry long at the wine, and they would say, well, that's obviously they're drunk, and that doesn't mean moderation.
1: The more of it you take, the more effect there is. But I think the That's answer right. to that is found contextually in the same book by the same author, which is Proverbs 20, verse 1. It's nature right. is the mm-hmm. problem, not just how much mm-hmm. of it you ingest. The more you ingest, the more of each of those negative res- results you're going to get. And you can walk through those negative results in great detail. I mean, there's a whole lot of horror there in those five or six verses.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it closes with the addictive nature of it you know it hurts you it does you damage it impairs your ability to make wise choices you get sick you get hurt you get in fights but when i wake up i'm going to do it again yeah and yeah. and that addictive nature is you know one of those things that the people in the moderate position don't want to take accountability for it they're like i'm not saying you have to drink i'm saying it's okay and i think there's a fine line between encouragement encouragement and allowance but then are they going to be the ones there to pick up the pieces
0: when it all goes horribly wrong? Yeah. And that, that kind of leads us to this verse we also have, which is Isaiah five, where it says, woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and the men of strength to mingle strong drink. That's an interesting verse. Let's ex- why don't you expound on that a little bit, Tom? I mean, them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink. What is that getting at?
1: In this, in this section, Isaiah is giving reasons for God's judgment, and he works through a number of different woes, uh, which is a Bible word essential, essentially similar to our beware, like you see beware of dog sign. And the counter argument to using this verse as an abstinence position is to say mighty to drink wine means that they're, they're excelling in drinking wine. It's not just drinking right. a little bit. But I would mm-hmm. argue that the second part of the verse balances that and says men of strength to mingle strong drink. It's not the second part of the verse doesn't talk about how much they drink at all. It shows that they're strong men who are impacted, even though they're strong men, they're impacted by the drink that they drink. So many people, one of the reasons that they use to drink alcohol is to say, well, I can handle it. I can control it. You know, I know where my limits are. But mm-hmm. men of strength, even men who are who think they have capability and the ability to handle something, that's the deception. I think you see in Proverbs chapter twenty, verse one. Wine is a mocker, strong drink raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby, you mm-hmm. you think you have the strength to handle it, but this is something that when you take it into yourself it defeats your strength, it works around it and through it and under it and turns your strengths into weaknesses. So I don't accept that the first part of the verse makes this just a moderate position. I I I think it supports the abstinence position. Yeah.
0: And one of the things that has one of the the um, belief systems surrounding alcohol that that is that leads to this abstinence position being proven from, preached from the Bible and um For the life of me i just i just don't see why this why anyone would do this but is the tearing down of the idea that there are two different kinds of wine in the bible it's referred to as the two wine principle and some people will say there is absolutely no way you're going to get a two wine principle from the bible but our hermeneutic historical scriptural hermeneutic will teach us that there actually is a two wine principle and there are several verses that, if you try to say that that wine is talking about fermented strong drink with alcoholic um, uh, capabilities or tendencies, whatever whatever the word is, I'm forgetting the word, um, it just doesn't make sense. It's it's just simply not not even reasonable.
1: And so, words do have two
0: kinds of meanings. In this case, go ahead, Tom.
1: I get really frustrated, and this is where I get hot under the collar with people I don't think are being intellectually honest in this discussion who refuse to address this. I remember uh, uh, in our previous podcast, we were considering doing some alcohol-related stuff after what the RFP did in its pro-drinking series of podcasts, and the only of the three of their podcasts I've listened to were the three about alcohol, and I watched every minute of those, and I took detailed notes on those. And one of the things that I distinctly remember jumping out at me is how they ignored like this elephant in the room about the two wine principle. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to discuss it because it clear right. to me, it's where the biggest argument lies. If the Bible, if right. wine in the Bible is always alcoholic, then I don't have a leg to stand on as an abstinence person because there's passages that clearly say wine is good and wine is a blessing. But if wine is two different things in the word of God, then mm-hmm. on the other hand, they have to do some serious work to, to, address that, and they almost always refused to do that. So did they not address that? I didn't listen to their- Not own. to my memory. I went looking for my notes that I took. I took a lot of detailed notes on that, and I went looking for them th- this morning before we recorded. I couldn't find them. But I remember that sense of frustration as I watched those episodes of their failure to deal with it. If they did, it would have been very, very little. Otherwise, it would not have jumped out at me like that. But yeah, the fact that there's- so, Go ahead.
0: Well, I was just going to echo your frustration on that. Because to to ignore these different passages that we're going to be mentioning here in just a moment is to ignore the fact that there are two different kinds of wines in the Bible, which is a huge part of of why I can teach my children they shouldn't drink. I mean, I, I am I'm gonna take the same approach with my kids that was taken with me and 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 we're gonna we're gonna talk about this for, for what it is, which is that the Bible says wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Well, I can't say that with authority. If there's
1: only one kind of wine in the Bible. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And I get really frustrated with the people who attack us for bad hermeneutics who have bad hermeneutics, because what is (laughs) what is the hermeneutic we're supposed to use? Literal. What is literal? Historical grammatical. Grammatical starts with the word. You have to start with what does that word mean? And clearly there are are other words in the word of God where the word is used in more than one way. Paul uses the phrase, the two-word phrase, the law, five different ways in the book of Romans. A meat offering in the Old Testament doesn't have any meat in it as we understand it. Meat is used both ways in the word of God. In fact, three different ways in the word of God. What Mm -hmm. you see in the word of God is true now. There are are terms in use now for, uh, I was talking to a missionary friend of mine who grew up in Cameroon and there's a certain beverage that they ingest where the same word is used, whether it's fermented or not fermented. Uh, okay. The English Dictionary says that. Uh, Webster's 1828, which is what a lot of people use about wine, defines it as the fermented juice of grapes, also as the juice of certain fruits. Uh, right. Words obviously can and do have more than one meaning in Scripture.
0: Yeah, and, and that's proven, right? So Second Chronicle, Second Chronicles 31.5, that's a passage of scripture that deals with tithing wine, correct? Let's find that there. I should have pulled that up before I even brought yeah, it up. That's,
1: that's one of them. So th- there's four or five that are often used by the moderate position people to say that clearly God is acceptable with alcohol. And our contention is that these passages are not actually talking about alcohol. They're talking about what is essentially juice. Did you get Second Chronicles 31?
0: Yes. It says, as soon as the commandment came abroad, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of corn wine and oil and honey and of all the increase of the field and the tithe of all things brought they in abundantly
2: so why would you say there that wine
1: couldn't be alcoholic because of first fruits so the first fruit i just preached a series last year in our church on christ in the old testament and the first fruits was the very first part of the harvest that you brought as a symbol of honoring the lord for what he was going to bless you with in the rest of the harvest the first fruits of of the pressing of the grape is not alcoholic. It hasn't hasn't fermented. It hasn't had time to ferment. And so clearly those first fruits, the first fruits of of a grape are juice, not wine. Nobody presses a grape and gets alcoholic wine. Nobody, ever. Well, that's
0: actually another verse, right? In Proverbs, it says, Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine.
1: Right. Presses don't burst out with alcohol. That's so right. So obviously that passage contextually, just just reading it on its face, that passage says wine means juice. And unless you're going to admit that, I don't think you're being intellect- intellectually honest in the discussion. So there has to be two different meanings for the word wine in the Bible.
2: Yeah. And then Isaiah 16, 10 as well. Um, I think that is similar to 2 Chronicles 31 in, in the sense that he uses a word for wine that is – immediately after it's being pressed or as it's being pressed. So there's no time for fermentation to have taken place. What was that? Right? Uh, that says uh, Isaiah 16:10. gladness is taken away and joy out of the plentiful field. And in the vineyards, there shall be no singing, neither shall there be shouting. The treaders shall tread out no wine in their presses. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, they, they use the same word for the immediate
1: product of the wine press. Right. Isaiah 65 8 does something similar. It says, uh, uh, Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, Destroy it not, for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. I've had people use this verse and say, Look, God says there's a blessing in wine. He does. Mm-hmm. And what he means when he says wine is the juice that comes, because it says in the cluster. You don't get alcoholic beverages in the cluster. What's that passage that talks about wine cheering the heart of God? Judges 9.13. Yeah,
0: Judges 9. And Jotham, he's giving his discourse. He's saying thing. uh, I've got it right here now. Okay, here we go. It says, the tree said to the fig tree, come thou and reign over us. But the fig tree said unto them, should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit and go to be promoted over the trees? Then said the trees to the vine, come thou and reign over us. And the vine said unto them, should I leave my wine, which cheereth God and man, and go to be promoted over the trees? I know it's this allegorical statement that he's making. But he's acknowledging a reality. He's acknowledging the reality that the vine is producing a fruit that immediately, once is liquidized, as wine. And that's that. That's the. These are the kind of texts that just they're in the Bible. They're they're all throughout the Bible, and we're ignoring them when we say there's only one kind of wine, and that's a fermented wine.
1: I think in addition well, this to the the assumption. Biblical, go ahead.
0: I'm sorry, Tom. I was going to say there's an assumption with some of those
2: texts that talk about wine, cheering the heart, that it has to be alcoholic. Otherwise, how can you be happy with just drinking grape juice? You know, they they kind of make the assumption you need to be a little bit intoxicated if you're going to be cheerful. And, uh, you know, I think that takes away from, you know, being able to enjoy the things of God
0: without having some kind of detrimental effect on you. Yeah, you know, that's not true, though. You don't have to be intoxicated. My wife likes Coca Cola. puts her in a
1: good mood every time.
0: <laughs> every <laughs> is single that what time.
1: You have, is that why you have cases regularly shipped? Just shows up. No, we
0: we we deliberately avoid the cases because otherwise we'll be drinking soft drinks forever. But if I ever go out and pick us up some food, and she's had a long day, you know, homeschooling the kids or or doing whatever. I mean, she, you know, I've got four kids, and unfortunately, they're all as all as rambunctious as I'm probably guilty of being in my childhood and uh, she'll say hey bring me a coke you know so I mean no I, the idea that wine is the only thing that the only beverage that will bring you any kind of cheer no I don't I don't think that's that's not fair no.
1: but, the, but there's so also the sec- go ahead guys I, I think the second part of that argument about there being a two wine uh, principle in the Word of God is the historical side of the historical grammatical hermeneutics. Mm-hmm. So you're supposed to interpret the Word of God. You begin at the word level, and then you move on to the phrase, and then the, the sentence, and then you know the clause in the sentence, and then etc. Context expands out, expands out in brackets. But you interpret that in the light of how it was meant as it was written. Who was it written to? What was the situation? Who wrote it? Etc. So when you look at history, one of the things you find is there is a tremendous amount of historical evidence that there was ability, uh, I mean, thousands of years ago to preserve grape juice for lengthy periods of time in an unfermented condition. Because one of the arguments that comes back at an absence position is, well, it was it was impossible. And I've had this come at me so many times, it's not even funny. Well, before Thomas Bramwell Welch in 1869 invented pasteurization, there was no way to preserve grape juice for a long time. In an unfermented condition. And that is just not historically accurate. Uh, I spent l- several hours researching this and I, I wrote a blog post about it. And I have 31 quotes from people who predate Welch in 1869. Some of them are historians who are writing about past past civilizations. Some of them are men like Horace or Pliny or Colomella or Cato or Aristotle or Plutarch who quoted and said that it is possible to take this juice of the grape that is so good and preserve it sweet uh, in, an, in, an, in a non-alcoholic way for months at a time, if not years at a time. I don't necessarily want to go into the, all the technology of how they did it, but they did it, and it is historically proven. To reject that is not intellectually honest.
0: Mm-hmm. And keep in mind, so for our listeners' sake here, there there may be someone listening thinking, you know, Oh, why are they doing this? This is, you know, I've already settled on this issue, whatever. Uh, you have to understand that there are those among us who like to get online and talk about this, Martin. Literally, you were called a Bible <laughs> denier. You were mm-hmm. called a Bible denier by saying that the Bible teaches abstinence. I mean, I was shocked. I was, I was like, a lot of Whoa. things. Yeah. Yeah. And you, by the way, your spirit in how you addressed it was very good. So just for the record, he didn't come out like some jerk and like and just, you know, attack people. Um and believe me, he has the potential to do that. But he didn't do that. Uh he he just put some very very educated statements and quotes and different things from his research and I think I don't even think they were like original to you. I think you quoted some other authors on it and things of that nature. Man, you got called every name under the sun. You were the one that shocked me was like you're denying the Bible. You're you're your anti-Bible, something like that. I was like, whoa, whoa, hey, <laughs> hold on. Where we've tried to, in this case, say, number one, okay, the abstinence position is not new. We've covered that. Uh, we've tried to explain there are literal texts of scripture that promote the abstinence position. And then there are passages of scripture that are very clearly referring to wine as being non-fermented juice. I mean, that's clear in these texts. I don't, you know, if someone wants to debate that, that's fine. But we're not just saying these things out of opinion. I mean, we are studying the Bible. We're going to the Bible on this. And I want people to know this because I, I literally know people who have been taken from an abstinence position to where they're now social drinking and mm-hmm. they're, they're partaking in alcohol and it blows my mind. I mean, I, I deal with some some of the law enforcement in our area. I get to do some chaplain work in that way and then um, have family who are in law enforcement as well. And you would be amazed that the majority, the majority of the calls that these guys respond to, domestic disputes that they respond to, they will check the little box on their report that says alcohol related, alcohol mm-hmm. related. Uh, I forget what yeah. one of the guys told me it was, but it was an, it was, it was crazy.
2: Probably the the man in in the church, I get you know, I pastor here in Bedford, who is the most fervently against alcohol, is uh, a former state trooper, and he would say that mm. pretty much again, not one hundred percent, but not far off it of the domestic abuse cases, the accidents, uh, murders, mm-hmm. violence, alcohol was always a case. Um, right and and so yeah that's that's the, the same experience I've had here
0: yeah and so I I don't I just don't understand Christians tearing that position down uh, so and to maybe someone about this go ahead no I'm sorry go ahead you no I was gonna change gears so go ahead now I was gonna say just to,
2: to reinforce what Tom was saying you know historically there are detailed records of how alcohol you know how the the great juice could be stored without it fermenting Mm -hmm. um aristotle you know he clearly says that there's you know the sweet wine you know you can't become intoxicated by it and you know there there are just contemporary records going back a long time that reinforce the fact that it would be possible to have unfermented wine stored for up to two
1: years in in the different Mm -hmm.
2: methods and that information is is out there
1: you know it, it is, it, and you can find it. There's an arrogance to, our, to, to modern man that thinks that previous centuries and millennia of man were not as smart as us or advanced mm-hmm. as us. And when you read history, and I've read thousands of books of history, you see it's just not factual. People 2,000 mm-hmm. years ago were just as smart as people are now. And smart people now have figured out how to preserve food and preserve juice and preserve oil for lengthy periods of time in order to feed themselves when they didn't have fresh food. And people did it thousands of years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. even,
2: you know, well, I was going to jump way ahead, so I'll not say that. I'll let uh, <laughs> Stephen steer it. But, um, yeah, no, that's absolutely right. We, we, It's an arrogant perspective to think we've got stuff figured out that they never did in the past. And there have been scientific developments. We get that. But uh, they were smart people in the past, and we shouldn't, you know, just disregard that entirely to uphold a position that's something that we we want to uphold.
0: Yeah, it's a permissive type thing. It's it's like you said Martin, and I appreciate you saying this and probably it needs to be repeated a couple times is that there is a difference between promoting and allowing and we know that not everybody who allows promotes. I mean, I mm-hmm. I'm I'm not I don't want to misrepresent anyone in this. I I'm trying to go based off of what I've read, what I've heard, um what I've seen and and do mm-hmm. that from a from a very uh, well, from a position of integrity, because we do want to tackle this issue without attacking people. At the right. same time, um, the Bible does say, yeah, "Woe unto about? him that no, gives his neighbor to drink." Yeah, yeah. What right. out, What about? There you go. The Bible says, <laughs> no, "Woe unto John's him saying. that gives his neighbor to drink." So, so yeah. someone who is who is actively doing this. I mean, there are there are churches, and and none none of the pastors I know or are reading have done this. So, I want to be clear, I'm not seeing this necessarily in independent Baptist churches, but there are groups that claim to be religious churches, et cetera, that have budgets that include alcohol. It's insane. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just wild. It's like, and again, I'm like you, Martin. I don't want to get to, to the end of this. I don't want to jump ahead of everything because we are trying to take a more deliberate approach on this, but let me just kind of Wrap our heads around this from from a couple of different perspectives. You know, we've talked about the abstinence position and all of the attacks against it, and how unfair those things are because they don't—they're not intellectually honest. For one, the abstinence position is not new. There are clear Bible texts that preach abstinence. Um, it is clear that there are two. There's a two wine principle in the Scripture. There are two things going on there, and words can mean multiple things. We know that, and so there are people who are actively. Um, challenging those ideas. And, and I have a problem with that challenge because I feel like that's going to lead to a very bad place. The other aspect is, though, that there may be someone who is new to this thinking, you know, I'm coming out of a lifestyle that that I'm I'm just now finding out about how you guys believe about this or what the Bible says about this. You know, why should I why should I give up this part of my life? And this is where I think a great position can be taken as spiritual leaders that the overwhelming weight of scripture toward alcohol is negative. I mean, over and over again, you know, we mention it in society, it's very negative, but in scripture, it's negative as well. And so there are several passages of scripture. I don't think we wanted to read all of these verbatim guys, but Genesis and Noah um, getting drunk after the flood. And what that did was resulted in the curse of one of his sons and a very, very wicked thing. Uh, Lot getting drunk and the ancestral relationship with his daughters, um, Daniel 5, Belshazzar, caused him to lose the kingdom. And that's, it, wasn't that in, in Habakkuk? Didn't we talk about Habakkuk. that just recently? Habakkuk. That was like a whole Martin week says. ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've de- <laughs> deconstructed my pronunciation of <laughs> Habakkuk. Um, David and Nabal, uh, Nabal and and his the loss of his life and his wife in that. Um, Elah in First Kings tw- sixteen, excuse me, Ben hadad in First Kings twenty. Martin's over here thinking the pronunciation of these are atrocious. Uh, Esther with a ah- is that how I say that, Martin? Uh, and all of that. There's a there's a couple different lines of thinking on that. Josephus has a line of thinking that that kind of contradicts what I've heard some people say, but nonetheless, it was involved. Um, Amnon and uh, his inability to defend himself against Absalom because he was drunk. Um, there are others that are not on this list, by the way, that I'm thinking of as I'm as I'm kind of reading through this list, and I think one of us counted up 64 specific specific passages of scripture where something that is clearly alcoholic is mentioned in a negative
1: light. Right. These are not passages where you're wondering which is wine that means juice or wine that means alcohol. These are passages where it's clearly in a negative light and it's clearly alcoholic. Uh, right. There are just dozens, scores of those passages in the Word of God, and those pile up. I think that weight means something. Do you know which passage annoys me the most when it's misused? Brother Russ, which passage annoys you the most when it's misused? Thanks for asking
0: Tell us. Question. Question. We'd love Let's to answer. answer this. The one that says, be not drunk with wine, where is an excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That drives me bonkers when people use that as a way of defending moderate drinking, because that because- verse is not about wine. It's about the spirit oh yeah just right that's mm -hmm. the point yeah the the whole point of it is is anyway okay moving on
2: moving on a a negative text that um i don't think was on our list and it was only brought up to me as i was preparing for this episode but with nadab and abihu and it it may be coincidental maybe circumstantial but they offer strange fire to the lord in the account in leviticus 10 they're struck down for it Mm -hmm. and it's in that context that in Leviticus 10.8, the Lord spake unto Aaron saying, Do not drink wine, nor strong drink thou, nor thy sons, sons when thou forever. go into the tabernacle. Yeah. And so I've heard it you know, theorized, and I think rightly so, that that may have been an, an issue with Nadab and Abihu. And God kind of responds to that and says, you know what? No wine, no strong drink. And you, you again, it's a negative outcome of having drunk alcohol. So again, mm-hmm. like you said, the weight of it is against uh, and alcohol being a negative
0: thing, and not to mention as well that the danger of drunkenness is enough to cause us to want to abstain entirely. Um, the statistics on alcohol-related issues are unreal. And this is one of those things where I get aggravated, where they're like,
2: well, I can handle it. I'm not going to get drunk. And they may quote Churchill, or I think it was Churchill, he said, you know, I took more out of drink than drink took out of me. But, (laughs) uh, you know, that is, (laughs) even if that were true, an isolated case, you may get someone who, you know, has used cocaine and is kind of a a functional addict. And you don't look at that and say, okay, well, if they can handle their cocaine, then a little bit's going to be okay. Um, you know, with alcohol, I think it's even worse because at what point do you become drunk? And this is one of the arguments that was again, maybe not the strongest, but if you say, Well, a little bit of drink is okay, drunkenness is not, and drunkenness is actively a sin, what other sin is there where you can be nearly sin in but not quite? Yeah. And you're not gonna know when you've crossed the line? It's so ambiguous. Okay.
0: <laughs> okay. The comparison here. What if what if um You, and this is, this is dramatic, but it's the same idea. Two things that are always mentioned in conjunction in the Bible or that are most often mentioned in conjunction in the Bible together, um, are wine and adultery, wine and adultery. I mean, there is a, there's a connection there. What if you said to your wife, well, I didn't commit adultery with that woman. I just flirted with her. She going to be okay Mm. with that? Not any one no. of our three
1: wives. <laughs>
0: <laughs> not any sane wife. Right. No. Not any reasonable wife. I mean, definitely not a Christian wife. Okay. That That is the same kind of logic here that we see happening. I, that's, that probably comes across harsh. And
1: Well, I think, too. I, no, but I, I think, think. I, think, uh, no, you go ahead, I was just going to say about, about that same argument that is drunkenness. That's a sin, which is what the moderate position says. Well, the only way you know you've sinned is if you cross that line,
0: right? And for everybody, it's
1: different. So the only way that I know where my line is—if moderate position, if moderate drinking is acceptable and drunkenness is wrong—the only way I know how much I can drink without being wrong is if I actually be wrong. So I have to sin in order to find out how not to sin. That's just illogical to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: it doesn't flow. Um, Yeah, one of the books I've found most helpful. He made the statement that by the time someone realizes. That their alcoholic intake is beginning to affect them. It already has.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, uh, was it Adrian Rogers who said moderation's not the pr- not the answer. It's the problem.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. But it's a, moderation's not the answer to the alcohol problem. It's the cause of it, is what he said.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and then to
0: okay, how do we establish when you've become drunk? Uh, obviously, there's a legal limit. But that legal limit changes based on the factors, right? So you've got the legal limit. Um, the the last one I looked at, this the one I pulled up is is 0.08%. It's considered drunk driving. And that may be one beer for someone, that may be three for someone else. Okay. So mm-hmm. there's a there's an inherent quality that is that is different almost for everybody. But then if you're a commercial vehicle driver, the standard is point zero four percent. If you're under 21, the standard is 0.01 percent. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and
1: I, I I sit here and wonder if commercial air pilots don't have a whole different standard altogether, <laughs> right? Yeah, well, it if could it's be I of a stricter that up. than that,
0: right? Yeah, I would hope yeah. it is. <clears throat> Didn't they make a movie about a guy? I've not watched it, but about a guy that flew a plane and and he was drunk and all that kind of thing. While commercial he, pilots, he it. it's the
2: same um, blood alcohol content as it would be for commercial drivers. So 0.04%. Um, but that that is literally like, you know, and again, it's going to depend on the individual, their their gender, because gender does make a difference regardless of what some people would sure. like to say. Um, and, uh, you know. Martin, I told you not to be controversial
0: be... in this podcast. Anyway, go ahead.
2: I apologize for nothing. <laughs> um <laughs> Oh, I love
1: love it it when Mr. Wiggins gets fired up. I I just love it.
0: Well, most of the time he's not fired up. He just has these responses that he rarely, he he won't ever show that side of himself. He's just so reserved. And then when I finally get it out of him, I'm like, yes, got it. (laughs) But
2: it could just be a single drink, depending on so many factors, Mm -hmm. a single drink. And legally, you are so impaired that you are not allowed to do something. And- And, and, you know, the one statistic was that there's a 5 to 15% decrease in response time after your blood alcohol content is 0.03. So, mm. you know, immediately that alcohol right. is impairing your right. ability to function.
1: Your point there right. is that it is affecting you from the first time you drink it. It's not just, I'm going to drink it until it affects me. Because of mm. its nature, it starts affecting you immediately. So it's, the dangers are obvious. Martin, you made a good point
0: in conversation preparing for this is that the world is starting to promote that almost like it did with cigarettes. Remember when mm-hmm. cigarettes were like yeah. not an issue and then now they are an issue. And and I mean, I still remember as a kid that there were smoking sections in restaurants. Right. You don't see that anymore unless you go down to the sticks. I'm talking about in the country. I went to a diner not too long ago and I was like, oh, Okay, I'm in Kentucky, uh, but uh, but you don't see smoking sections anymore because it's it's frowned upon. It's looked down upon. the the um, The industry is at an all time low. I mean, it, it, because it's just now been shunned from society almost entirely, and we're starting to see a little bit of that with alcohol. I think I don't think you'll ever see it to the lo- to the degree of cigarettes, but where you're starting to see where people are are saying, "Hey, this isn't good for you." And it's funny to read those articles, by the way. Because they'll go through all the negative effects and the dangers of alcohol on your health, and then say, "So don't drink too much." You know, <laughs> it's yes. like uh, uh, you know they're fighting with themselves. They're, they're, there's a lot of conflict there. Um, what is
2: that? That slogan they have to put on everything? Drink responsibly.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know. And and so there, but, you know, there are um, people who are, I think, unreasonably changing the standard on alcohol. There are some people who are honestly seeking for the true answer on it. There are some people who probably might listen to this who are active drinkers and and they don't have a problem with it. And, and I guess our, how do I say this? My problem is not with you right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going after you right now. Um, but if you're listening to this, please know that we come to come to this issue with a heart of, of genuine concern genuine concern for the for the issue of alcohol and and the danger that it has so okay what about moderation then guys we have to talk about this whole idea of moderation and the big thing is drunkenness is a sin drinking is not you you can prove drunkenness is a sin from scripture you can't prove drinking is a sin from scripture and that's where i think martin you got called a bible denier or something like that um yeah I was told I was
2: adding to scripture and the curses of this book would be upon me. And it was at that <laughs> point where I kind of, I said, all right, well, you you know, that's crossing a line. Um, and yeah, I, I just don't, I don't see that moderation is the right approach uh, biblically, yeah, logically, scientifically, historically. I mean, just all of the arguments are against it and moderation. Um, so, yeah, I, I, When you look in the Bible, kings, priests, Levites, the Nazarite vow, all Mm -hmm. of it was, you know, don't have any alcohol at all. Um, So if moderation was okay, why for the people in the most influential and highest levels of leadership would it be
0: forbidden for them? Um, Right. It it just doesn't follow. Yeah, I I agree, and there's there's also the fact that priests were not allowed to drink alcohol in the Old Testament. And we are the priesthood. Um, each of us individually now, and so no, I, I, I again another biblical, biblical thing there that that we have to um, to support that position of abstinence. Okay, um, so here's something we definitely wanted to do today because, as much as I am an abstainer, a teetotaler, as much as I get fired up about the idea of people promoting alcohol, look on. From one side, from one perspective, as a pastor, I work with people who either struggle with alcohol, they drink alcohol, or whatever, all the time. And like I said, this podcast, I'm not grinding this axe toward them. What I'm really concerned about is that Bible verse that says, Woe to him that giveth his neighbor strong drink, gives wine to his neighbor. Right. Um, it's Christianity and Christian leaders who are trying to remove the restriction, the biblical restriction, the the, the biblical position on alcohol. And the one thing that I don't like from to give, to give a little credence to the other side here for a moment is I don't like when we avoid difficult texts. I, I don't like that. I, for years, I felt like we avoided that in our pulpits on things like Calvinism. And I just make a commitment to my people that when we come across words in the text Uh, And I'm not making a comparison between alcohol and Calvinism, by the way. But when we come across these words in the text, we are going to deal with them. We are going to deal with them. And so for the sake of that in this particular podcast, I felt like we should probably go ahead and tackle some of those. And so we have some of those for us today. We want to look at them honestly. Martin, I think you even said something to this effect, and I'm going to paraphrase, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but there are some difficult texts in the Bible on this issue. And so we're going to say that, we're going to be honest about that, um, but let's let's just look at them and let's study them with the weight of everything that we have said prior um, in mind. Is that okay? Is that something we can do? Let's do it. Great. Sounds good to me. Who wants to give us the first one that we have? I nominate Tom.
1: Thank you. You're so kind. This is the one I think I have the weakest answer for. I was hoping you guys would have a better one. I actually
0: right. love that you said that, Tom, and I mean that. Thank well, you. The truth, yeah,
1: it, not it, it. So, so the 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 passage we're talking about, we have four or five we want to discuss that are that are often used by the people on the moderate position side against the absent side, um, our side to say that we're wrong, and we want to look at those. And the first is Proverbs chapter thirty-one, verse six and seven, which says. Uh, give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty, and remember his misery no more. I can't come to this to this verse and say it's talking about juice, because it's not. I mean, it clearly says mm-hmm. strong drink. There's, there's no discussion with that. Uh, so it's obviously talking about alcohol, and it says to give it to someone, because it will help them. Mm-hmm. So what is the answer to that? So here's my answer. When you're sad, well, first of all, the context, if you back up to to the two verses immediately prior, it says it's not for kings, O Lemuel, not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. The previous two verses explicitly forbid it for kings and then seem Mm -hmm. to allow it for people who are sick or having a tough time. Um, And then,
0: Tom, I didn't want to. I didn't want to jump ahead to the last part of what you read before we deal with the first part of verse six, give strong drink to, unto him that is ready to perish, seems very much to me like the how we would use morphine today. And that that seems to be the, the allowance there. So that's your answer for that? That's my answer for that part of the verse. Okay. Yes. The rest I, I of the verse, however, is...
1: No, I don't either. But the rest of the verse, I agree, is the struggle. The rest of... Verse six and so then verse seven. I'll give my response to it, and then you know I've already admitted I think it's a weak response, but it it it's what I have. So right. when you're sad, what is it that you're supposed to 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 do? Who who are you supposed to turn to when you're sad as a, as a child of God? You're supposed Jesus. to turn to the Lord, not to some right, yep. not to some substance. The Bible says that First Peter chapter five, verse seven, casting all your care upon Him. When you're troubled about your poverty, what are you supposed to do? Well, Paul said in right. Philippians chapter four to be content, right, in whatever situation you're in. Um, obviously drinking doesn't give any permanent comfort to a man who is heartbroken or a man who's in an economically stressed situation. I was traveling with Joe boy years ago as a teenager and sitting in a restaurant, some state down South, they were playing country music. Oh my soul. Was that educational? And, uh, (laughs) that's where I first heard the song. There's a tear in my beer for I'm crying for you, dear. And I just thought that was the funniest thing that, you know, I'm (laughs) sad. And so I'm drinking alcohol because drinking alcohol doesn't make you actually stop being sad. It temporarily does, but it doesn't permanently solve anything. Uh, Drinking doesn't help you deal with it, only helps you avoid it. When you sober up, what is still there? The cause of your sadness, only now it's magnified. Drinking magnifies problems. So it's my position that Solomon is actually speaking ironically here, and he's saying, give that to them who are struggling, in essence saying, don't give it to them that are struggling. That's my answer. I don't like Hmm. it. But that's my answer.
2: Hmm. Well, again, I think if there is a preacher out there who would have somebody come to him and say, hey, pastor, I'm really struggling. Life is tough and I'm just not making ends meet. If that pastor turns around and says, you know what, Proverbs six, it says you just need to get hammered. I mean, just get stoned out of your <laughs> mind and, you know, at least for that period of time, you're going to feel good, you know, so, so go ahead. It, it's just insane.
1: And if one of my members heard me say that, they would laugh because they know well, that's not what I meant, right. that I was speaking sarcastically. And that's, in and essence, what my position is on this passage, that he's speaking sarcastically.
0: And the reason I like your answer, Tom, is because of that last phrase in verse 7. It says, and remember his misery no more. Um, I think he is speaking ironically because that's just simply not the effect that alcohol has. Because you're going to your wake up cells. the next morning. Well, yeah, but yeah. you're going to wake up the next morning with what?
1: Can you uh, tell me? A Martin? hangover <laughs> and all of the problems that you went <laughs> th- that you started drinking with. I was like, going to let
0: Martin tell us from experience. I don't know. I
1: just, you know, I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what the effect
0: is. <laughs> uh, yeah, my. you're you're um, going to wake up, and all even even TV shows that promote alcohol they accurately show the regret and the fear right. of someone who wakes right. up and says, uh, "I don't remember what happened last night." right
2: there are some so. who would argue that this portion of scripture is actually speaking about you know someone essentially who's on death row and i think the reasoning is this is that verse four it says it's not for kings oh let me all it's not for kings to drink wine nor for princes strong drink lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted give strong drink unto him that's ready to perish so the ones that under the judgment of the law are going to be Suffering the consequences of it, you know, give it to them. Um, and again, I, I don't think it's a a an answer which is a hundred percent satisfactory. But there are a number of commentators that I've read that would take that position.
1: Okay, very good. So we've talked about Proverbs thirty-one for good or for bad. What's next? <laughs> Actually, one one <laughs> Martin, more thing. Albert
2: Bonds. Oh no, Adam yeah. Clark. He makes a connection with Psalm one hundred and four, verse fifteen. Um, oh no, wrong reference. Um, but he makes a connection with Jesus on the cross, a condemned person suffering, was offered something to kind of numb the effects of the suffering, and so Adam Clark kind of makes that connection with condemned connection. criminals to kind of render them less, his words, less sensible of the torture they endured in dying. So again, this isn't case, a
1: yeah, and and if and that's an interesting connection, and of course Jesus wouldn't take it, right? Because he wanted his mind right. to be unclouded on the cross, um,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, and and I guess I don't know. I, 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 we got to be careful about how we interpret this, obviously, because it is scripture. But I guess that it could be applied also to someone who literally is is on their deathbed. So the first part of verse six, where I think that's as a sedative or whatever, give strong drink into him that is ready to perish, like morphine. The rest of that could also mean the same thing because keep him on that because once he dies, he will remember his misery no more. You know, there seems mm-hmm. to be potential for that explanation, but, but it's okay to struggle with these things. It's okay to look at this and say,
1: huh, I'm not sure I need to, I need sure, to study that listen. out. Because if we don't admit that there are difficulties in this, we're being as intellectually dishonest that's right. As the others that don't want to talk about the two wine position, don't want to talk about the clarity of Proverbs twenty mm-hmm. verse one, don't want to talk about the enormous number of negative references to alcohol, and just cherry pick their problematic verses to build their doctrine of allowance on.
0: Well, some would say that this is Proverbs; it's general truth. Um, which, in that case, I would say that defeats the other side of the argument as equally as it would defeat the abstinence side. Is that you know? It's it's not a it's not applicable then, and and that is if you use that argument. I'm not necessarily using that argument. I understand. But if if you use that argument, then I don't think you can use it for either side. Um. So yeah, yeah. Proverbs 31 is is a is a what they call a difficult passage on this topic. But the other one, unless there was something more to add, t- Martin.
2: No, no. I I was going to mention the next reference in our list because it clearly is in favor of drinking alcohol. <laughs> Um, yes, oh, this okay. is. The I one. mean, we
1: have no answer for it whatsoever. We just sit there with our mouth agape and then go buy some beer. <laughs> it's
2: one of those ones that people offer to me as if, "Oh, this is so easy. How could you not know?" And it's it's almost insulting. Um, and yes. that text is <laughs> yeah. drum roll uh, in a Baptistic sense of drum rolls. Stephen, John chapter two verse one through ten. Jesus turned water into wine.
0: Oh my word. I can't believe it. Let's go get drunk.
2: No, not okay. drunk, just moderately take a few sips until and we're eating. nearly drunk but not drunk
0: as far as we're aware. Well, yeah, because if we run out of wine and get more wine, then obviously we won't get it get drunk by continually drinking wine.
2: No, no, clearly
1: <laughs> So you so guys really in like conversation essentially answered that, right? <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys have run through the run through the deconstruction of that text. So the people that use this to support drinking alcohol, first of all, they don't agree with the fact there's two two, two different kinds of wine in the Bible. So anytime they see wine, they just think alcohol. Our argument is that Jesus, yes, he made wine, but it wasn't alcohol. So the people who Take a moderate position. They'll say, well, drunk, in verse number 10. There's 10 verses Mm -hmm. there. We're not going to read all 10. I think all of our listeners are familiar with the story. You can turn to it and look at it as we're talking. Pause your podcast and read it. In verse number 10, to take a moderate position, they have to say that the word drunk in verse number 10 means drunk in a classic sense of alcohol. But there's another example of a word that has more than one meaning in the word of God. Drunk is past tense for drink, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So drunk could mean they just drank, and that is the context. What he's saying is the governor says, we have been drinking for a while, and now you're going to bring us more to drink. So we've already been drinking for a while. This is th- this is a, 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 a tense thing here. We've been drinking for a while. So if you take the position that this allows alcohol, then you you disagree with what I just said, and you say drunk there means – you know over the barrel, you're just you, you've had so much alcohol that you have you've ingested it all and you're clearly past the limit, and that is the point in this story when Jesus produces what 160 some more gallons of premium alcohol. So, if you have a crowd that is already drunk, and if you take the position this says that you can drink, that's what it this crowd has to be at this point already drunk. Then Jesus mm-hmm. takes an already drunk crowd and gives them 160 more right. gallons of premium alcohol. What is that going to do to that crowd? It's going to turn into Sodom and Gomorrah is what it's going to turn into. It's going to turn into some yeah. some horrific party. His mother's there. His apostles are there. He's there. That That is entirely illogical to say Jesus would take a drunk crowd and give them a whole bunch more alcohol. So then the only other position is he took a crowd that was enjoying the festivities, and he gave them a better version of the grape juice that they were drinking. It's mm. one or the other. can't be yeah. both.
0: So the, the crowd that says drinking is not a sin but drunkenness is has a problem.
1: They have an enormous problem because they don't have an answer for it. I, what That's is it, Arby right. Willett, says? I would rather have the, the, the questions we can't answer than the questions they can't answer. And there <laughs> is, a, I was there is say that, no actually. way. <laughs> there's no way to come to this passage. And say it allows moderate positions. You can come to it and say it allows you to be drunk, but you can't come to it and say it allows a moderate position because the crowd was already drunk when Jesus added 160 more gallons of alcohol to it, if that's Mm -hmm. your position. No, our position, I think, is much better, which is that it wasn't alcohol he was talking about in the first place. It couldn't have been if Jesus
0: cannot sin and if he's not going to cause people to sin. Sure. Right. That's our position. That he's too holy right. to do that. Yeah, it's so. That's what I'm saying is that that those who would use this passage of scripture as a as a um, an arguing point for a pro-alcoholic stance, in other words, you can drink alcohol, mm-hmm. actually contradict themselves, and certainly contradict it, scripture if the
1: only biblical position is actually moderation and not abstinence. Correct. Correct. This passage yeah. is, can, cannot be used by an intellectually honest person to argue it's acceptable to drink alcohol in a moderate allowance. It's mm-hmm. impossible. You you can't argue it. It's not an option. Yeah. Well, I think what you said, Tom,
0: is actually a more beautiful explanation of the text. Is that whatever we can give ourselves, God can give us so much better. God gives us everything. It, you know, the Bible says that. That God, every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above. So what man does is insufficient. What man does is is inadequate. But what God does always surpasses awesome. the goodness of man yeah. in every case. It's it, awesome. it, so again, it's like using the passage on the Holy Spirit to promote a pro-alcohol stance. I have a problem with people who use John chapter 2 to justify a moderation stance as opposed to an abstinence stance
1: because it, it just degrades the purpose of the text. And I've had people say to me, well, there can't be that much of a difference in grape juice where the governor's eyes would light up and say, well, this is so much better. And my answer to that is very simple. I've drunk grape juice that you buy at Aldi. Mm-hmm. It's not very good. And I've also walked through vineyards, <laughs> literally walked through vineyards and plucked grapes right. off that were warmed by the yep. sun and eaten them. And the flavor and the taste is I mean, yes, your eyes light up. It's enormously different. And it's juice. You're talking about on both sides. It's the difference between
0: the new Coca-Cola and the original recipe. Let's just be honest. Come on. Everybody knows the original recipe
1: (laughs) is better. (laughs) So got it. Mr. Wiggins wants to know what I was doing at the vineyard. He messaged me. um, It was an (laughs) apple orchard with a vineyard. I was on the way with my children to the apple orchard to pick apples. And we were walking through the vineyard. And I plucked the grapes that were worn by the sun. True story. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Boy, there's a there's a lot more um that we even have on this. Um I don't know if, if we want to get to every one of them. Oh, oh, I know the one we want to talk about is the one where it says we should not be given to much wine versus given to wine. First and then 10, chapter three. The, Yeah, yeah, and then the idea of where Paul said take a little wine for your stomach's sake. So, wh- what do we have on that, guys?
2: I was going to say, you know, the second one, you know, for so-called medicinal reasons, that's where you have to see it as being a different, um, you know, not something alcoholic. I I don't know of any medical uh, prescription that says, yeah, the alcohol will make your stomach feel better. To the contrary, usually the first thing they tell you is to stop drinking any alcohol if you've got an ulcer, if you've got some kind of issue. Um, And so... You know I think saying that that is the wine as we know it was the solution to Timothy's health problems it just doesn't
1: it doesn't follow scripture and it doesn't follow medicine doesn't follow science yes. is it the Lancet that came out with that study a couple of years ago that was a study of studies which really flipped everything on its head that says there's zero profitable health re- results when you drink any amount of alcohol it's mm-hmm. only negative
2: mm-hmm
1: yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. find that one to be problematic at all. But the not given much wine one, I think that's much more interesting to look at. Oh, were you waiting for me to comment on it? <laughs> no, I'm, I, I'm, I was ignoring you totally. I was trying to <laughs> glare at Martin across the screen, get him to answer this because I've been answering all these.
2: No, I was, I was just reading one more comment um, regarding the the Timothy text, um, and that uh, what was it. Athanasius in the end of the second century, he spoke of an alternative drink. Um, he says, "Let him take sweet wine, either mixed with water or warmed, especially that called something else." But again, it was um, an alternative to the alcoholic stuff that was right. being prescribed in order to help them. Right. And research has shown, and I, I don't know how to say the actual word, but the 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 element within the wine that is actually perhaps helpful is in much higher. Levels in just regular grape juice, so um, yeah, that text I find a little bit easier to answer, and I think the one, the other one, not being given to much wine. I think Tom, you should take that one.
1: Oh, you dirty right! I just told you. Welcome. All right. So the text is First Timothy (laughs) chapter three. So earlier in the text, it says that pastors shouldn't be given to wine. Verse three, not given to wine, and then about deacons in verse number eight, it says likewise must the deacons be grave, not double tongued, not given to much wine. So the people who take a a moderate position, drinking position, they come to this and say, look, there it is. Even for deacons, they shouldn't be given to much wine, but it doesn't say no wine like it does for pastors, you know, above it. So what's the answer to that? Well, given is the essential point. In the original language, it has the idea of being captivated by something or fascinated by something. A similar use to this is found in Titus chapter 1, verse 14, where it says we're not to be giving heed to Jewish fables. Uh, we shouldn't be captivated by the by, by the superstitious stories of of Jewish legend if we put the word much in Titus 1 verse 14 would we say uh that it would it's okay to be somewhat captivated by Jewish superstitions we would not say that uh, the the point there is not to be given to it the point is not the much the point is not to be given to it Uh, If you want to talk about the word much, you can find Ecclesiastes 7, verse 17, be not overmuch wicked. Does that mean it's okay for me to be a little bit wicked, but not overmuch wicked? No, it's a turn of phrase that's essentially arguing that the deacon should not let himself be captivated by or addicted by anything other than Christ and serving Christ. Amen. Uh, Mm -hmm. So if this wine is a non-alcoholic wine, which is our position, the Bible's saying here that even this good thing, which is grape juice, which is how we would technically term this, you can term this, you can become given to. But the Bible illustrates that similar in the Book of Proverbs when it says in Proverbs mm-hmm. twenty-five, twenty-seven, it is not good to eat much honey. Uh, is there anything wrong with honey? No, nothing wrong with it in its nature. Nothing wrong with ingesting it. But do people pursue sweet things and sugary things and the lusts of the of the appetite to their detriment? Yes, they do. And I think that idea. Go ahead. A good illustration would be coffee. Sure, right? I mean, people get people. They
0: pursue it. I'm not gonna lie. I'm, I'm I'm on my third cup today. I'm getting old. Um, but but I I don't have to have that. And they're probably I probably shouldn't have had three cups. Right. So you that's know, there's a the bunch of older of preachers that. right now who are looking at you and saying
2: you're such a lightweight. Three <laughs> cups by midday. Lightweight.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but just, the similarity – Just so long as you don't get your. your uh,
2: as long as you don't get your coffee from the devil's juice box, then you know, you're Got all right. Got it
0: straight from the uh, the carafe in the other room. Made fresh this morning.
2: <laughs> oh, carafe. Look at you using fancy French words.
1: Yes. <laughs> you don't want to We've be controlled back by on something. Track. You don't want to I, be I, given I, to something. You don't want to be, yeah. what? All right, I'll stop talking. You guys talk. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm sorry. You're fine. You're fine. No, we, we're hoping you're no, going to rescue see. it from the, the distraction that Stephen I was and I are you, but causing. you wouldn't stop. You wouldn't stop. So I, you know, I, and I gave up. Go ahead, Tom. I don't remember He's where like, I was no. going. It's the basic idea. Not giving a much wine means don't don't be controlled by that. Don't be controlled by your appetite right. for for the sweet things of life. That's that's our mm-hmm. argument for what that's saying. It's not a yes. It's not a contradiction between the first part of the chapter and the second part of the chapter, mm-hmm. or an allowance for the deacons that gives an allowance for me because it's not talking about alcohol.
2: Right. Right.
1: That's our yeah. answer. No, I was
2: one. just gonna say we're acknowledging that, you know, these are difficult passages that um there are various approaches to. So, you know, I find your argument convincing and I'm very happy with it. You know, it is possible to have an addiction to even the go- the good things of life like coffee or chocolate or crumpets
1: or whatever else you want to use as an example. I know we've run long, but I want to mention just one other one because I think if we don't, we're gonna get all kinds of questions about it. I would rather bring it up than not answer it. That's Deuteronomy 14. Can we go there real quick? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that one. We probably mm-hmm. need to hit that one. Um, and I know
0: this is long. and No, it's fine. We're almost done. Our heart okay. behind this was just to sit and have a legitimate conversation on it. That's the one thing that I, I agree with, with many in my generation about the complaint. I, I don't always agree with how it's presented. I don't always agree with the spirit that it's presented in. But is that that many times we avoid the conversation, and so uh, this podcast is raw.
1: Yeah, none 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 of the three of us are avoiding anything. You you're listening to this, and you have a question for us, or you got a problem you want to argue with right. something we said. Write us, we'll answer. We're not going to duck it. Right, we'll listen, we'll talk. Yeah, we'll let Martin answer. It. Absolutely, that's right. We absolutely well. Deuteronomy 14.26 says, And thou shalt bestow that money for whatsoever thy soul lusteth after, for oxen or for sheep or for wine or for strong drink or for whatsoever thy soul desireth. And thou shalt eat there before the Lord thy God, and thou shalt rejoice thou and thine household. The context is you take the tithe of your produce to if you can't go all the way to Jerusalem with it, you go to a certain location and essentially use the tithe of that produce to throw a party for yourself and for your for your family for your household and consume those things in honor of the Lord. Hmm. Uh, you cannot say about this passage that it is not talking about alcohol. There's a similar passage we already talked about in Chronicles that is not talking about alcohol. First fruits, right? This passage is talking about alcohol because it says strong drink, right? I'm not going to argue that. And
0: I would say about this this is the only one of all of the problem passages that we brought up that gives me pause. It's the really? only one. I oh I have the other ones I have no problem looking at it in the context of the the entirety of scripture on this issue and saying, oh, yeah, that there's an there's an explanation for that. Um but you you just rightfully pointed out that it mentions strong drink in this.
1: With the answer so be, what is the answer?
0: Go ahead, Martin.
2: Well, would it be Numbers 28.7? Um, it says, in the drink offering thereof shall be the fourth part of an hen for one lamb in the holy place. Shall thou cause the strong wine to be poured unto the Lord for a drink offering? So it's not actually consumed, but it's poured out.
1: Uh, I think that's true about a drink offering. I just studied that last year for that series. But I don't think Deuteronomy 14.26 is talking about a drink offering that's poured out. I think mm-hmm. it's talking about stuff that you actually ingest yourself. If that's your answer, I wouldn't say you're you're flat out wrong. I just don't. Well, think it, that's it what the Bible says. Eat it
0: there before the Lord thy God. So right consumption is indicated in the text.
1: And again, bear mm-hmm. in mind that the priests, uh, you, and you have to be careful because only priests were allowed to do to do offerings. But the priests would consume some of those sacrifices that they offered. Different aspects of those sacrifices. So whichever side of that you take, I do think that that these people are ingesting alcohol and God said they could. So how can I say that if I if I believe in abstinence? So my response to that is twofold. First of all, if you come to me in 2023 and you look me in the eye and you say, the reason that all of your arguments against alcohol are wrong, and the reason that it's acceptable for me to go down to the store and buy some Budweiser and drink it is because of Deuteronomy 14.26, I'm going to look you right back in the eye and tell you you're using an aspect of the Jewish ceremonial law, which clearly is done. However you Mm -hmm. want to slice this passage up, it's Jewish ceremonial law. Mm -hmm. And regardless of what you think of Paul's phrase in Romans chapter six, not under the law, but under grace means, and I've written about that extensively, happy to talk about that. But nobody I know believes in observing Jewish ceremonial law. So if you think this passage lets you drink, then you also need to be slaughtering animals at an altar on a regular basis, or else you're not obeying the same law you're telling me you're obeying in this verse.
2: Yeah, for this this to be the standalone passage that you would take and use to justify your behavior, um, Mm -hmm. you had to ignore so many other clear passages, and even the very word used for strong drink there, um, every other time that I've, I've looked at where it's used, it's negative. And, you know, it is expressly prohibited. Um, And so you end up with a massive inconsistency. So um, it's, yeah, either way, I don't think it's sufficient to say, okay, well, it's all right.
1: I do think there's enough passages in the Word of God, and we've looked at four or five of them here in this last section of this podcast, I think there's enough passages that have enough ambiguity in them that if a brother looks me in the eye and he loves the Lord, and I know he loves the Lord, and he says, I believe the Bible says something different. I don't think he's the enemy. I don't think he's wicked. I don't think he's reprobate. Uh, And I want to treat him with charity, and I want to treat him with grace. But having said that, the fact that there is some level of ambiguity in a handful of passages does not cause me to stop preaching it and living it with clarity and with right. forcefulness because the enormous weight is all on the side of the alcohol is negative. I mean, it's just an enormous amount of clear Bible illustration, example, and passages. So I'm going to preach it mm-hmm. and I'm going to live it. I'm going to treat you with charity if you disagree, but I'm going to preach it and I'm going to live it without any sense of apology. Martin says, I apologize for nothing.
0: <laughs> so those are our thoughts for today. And we've tried to present them with an element of grace and truth. And we hope that you've enjoyed them. Obviously, as Tom said, we're not going to duck the issue. You have a question, you have a concern, an outright disagreement, anything of that nature. Uh, write us, let us know, interact with us. We're not going to avoid that. But it is our desire to present this issue honestly. And we feel that that hasn't been done in some cases. And so we hope that today has been helpful to someone. And perhaps, uh, perhaps long term, it may even deliver someone from a Um, potentially terrible end so thank you for listening to the issues podcast we are glad that you're listening and we're thankful for it please reach out to us let us know what you think god bless you thank you